Welcome all of you on Facebook and YouTube and on the internet. So glad that you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, not your phones, your Bibles, Judges chapter 6 will begin at verse number 7. We are starting a brand new mini-series this morning on the life of Gideon. And I've entitled this mini-series, Gideon Calling the Unqualified. Gideon Calling the Unqualified. We begin at verse number 7, please. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drove them away out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God, fear not, for the gods of the Amorites in whom the land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Oprah, or Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that thou talks with me. Depart now hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of an epaph of, of flour, which is about 22 liters. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out under the oak, and presented it. The angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, 
and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth, and he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up a fire, notice fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, for thou shalt not die. And Gideon built an altar. Notice the word altar, please. There unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom unto this day. It is yet in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Wow. What an incredible portion of scripture. A story that most of us are familiar with. I've entitled this message, Who me? You have got to be kidding. Has anybody ever said that before? Well, I need to ask this morning as we begin, what do you think it was about Gideon that God would choose such a man like this, plagued with fear and apprehension? Would you have chosen a man like Gideon to deliver the people out of the hand of the Midianites? Think about what kind of man this was. And as we begin this morning, I want to share some nuggets of truth. I normally use this as a conclusion, but I want to bring this into the beginning of this series that we are studying. As we set forth the tone of our story and of our series, several life lessons and nuggets of truth that we need to set right in the beginning of this message. Number one, God sees what others don't see. God sees what others don't see. We look upon the outside and we make our assessments, but God sees beyond the external. He sees beyond what man sees, and this is very important that we understand that. God saw him hiding in the wine press, a place of pressure, a picture of Israel's spiritual condition. God saw him exactly where he was at, and the truth is he sees where we are at. He sees our pain. He sees our tears. He sees our anguish. For the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth, seeing, revealing, guiding, showing. So God sees what others don't see. Number two, then God knows what others don't know. God knows what others don't know. He's the omnipresent, omniscient God. He knows details about your life that others don't know that you don't even know about yourself. How many times have you done something and you've said, did I do that? How many times have we experienced something or said something or did something and we scratched our head and said, I can't believe I did that. God knows things about you that you don't know. He knows your potential. He knows your capacity. He knows your future. He knows your destiny. 
He sees your heart. And so God sees that others don't see. God knows what others don't know. And it seems to be a common factor with all the people that God had called. Take for instance David. David was considered to be a reject. His father even denounced him. Couldn't even call him his own son. Had him tend the sheep. And while the world looked at David as a shepherd, God saw him as a king. God knows things about you that you don't know. Number three, then God goes to places where others do not go. The Bible says in verse 12 that the Lord is with you. The angel declared that the Lord is with you, Gideon. And you can hear Gideon say, really? Really? The Lord's with me. If he's with me, then why, why are all these things happening? Where are the miracles? Why are we suffering? How many people have said the very same thing? But this was no ordinary angel. Many scholars believe that this was a theophany. Theo, God, phony, voice, or appearance. And we see many theophanies in the Old Testament. The life of Abraham, we see it We see it. Uh, where, where Jacob is wrestling with an angel in Genesis 32, a theophany, an angel of the Lord, and many believe that was Jesus before the cross. Jesus always existed, it's pre-existence, and he appears here as an angel. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua sees this huge angel that was not an ordinary angel. Many men of God and women of God have seen theophanies, judges, Samson's parents experienced the theophany when the angel came and told them they were going to have a son. So Gideon is hiding. And all of a sudden this unknown being appears suddenly at the right place at the right time. Point. God comes down and finds us where we're at. And for some of us it was not in the church, my friends. For some of us God came and visited us and it wasn't in a safe place. It was in an obscure place. For some of you, maybe it was in the hospital. For some of you, maybe it was in prison. For me personally, it was in a dungy old apartment. Mice infected and infested boarding place where I lived for two years. When I fell on my face and I began to pray, God met me in that little room and my life turned around. God comes to the place where no one is able to go and God will find you my friends where you're at he's the omnipresent God a very present help if David said if I'm in hell he's there if I'm if I'm in pain he's there if I make my place in heaven wherever I am because God goes where no one else goes number four and God gives what others can't give and that of course is his presence verse number 12 his presence, I'll be with you. That's all we need to hear. That's all that Moses wanted to know. And that's all that we need to know because the mountains, I don't care what the mountains are, I don't care what the obstacles are, the mountains will melt, what? In the presence of the Lord, Psalm 97. Whatever your mountain is, that mountain is dissolved in the presence of God. The yoke is broken in the presence of the Lord. Gideon needed to know that his presence is with him. You see, Gideon is hiding so he won't be seen. 
He's hiding from his enemies, but here is the Lord who's able to see and knows all. And he declares, you are a mighty man of valor. A mighty, and as my title suggests, what? 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 Who, me? Really, me? You've got to be kidding. Because God sees something in us that we can't see. And this series that we are doing deals with being qualified. And the truth is, friends, that God never calls the qualified. He doesn't call those who are qualified in themselves. He qualifies the unqualified. He qualifies those that are not qualified. The world qualifies the qualified. How many degrees do you have? Oh, you got a PhD? Wonderful. Oh, you got 25 years of experience? Great. Qualifications. The world wants qualifications. The world wants uh, to see that you have it exactly the way it needs to be. And I'm not against that. We do need to study and we do need to, to, to do a certain amount. Uh, we need experience, there's no doubt about that. But, but, but we can't base what God wants to do through our experience. Because if we are successful, then we will take the credit for it. And our flesh loves to take the credit for things, doesn't it? We want to know how great we are. We want people to see how marvelous we are and how smart we are and how well-informed we are. But you see, God qualifies the unqualified. He calls those who are not. Gideon was certainly not qualified to the eyes of men. And so, and so can I set the tone a little further as we begin this morning? Listen, friends, God found Gideon in a hole. He found Joseph in a prison. He found Daniel in the lion's den. He has a, a habit, if you will, of showing up in the midst of trouble, a very present help, not in the absence of it. God shows up in trouble, not in the... We think that God is with us when we got no trouble and everything. No, no, no. He comes to us in the midst, right in the midst of trouble, not the absence. Where the world sees failure, I'll give you another F. God sees your future. Yeah, yeah. Next time you feel unqualified, my brothers and my sisters, to be used by God, remember this. He tends to recruit from the pit I'll give you my next P not the pedestal he tends to recruit from the pit not the palace no from the cave not the castle no 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 from the cave not from the canopy not when you have everything together and so as we set the tone this morning God has called Gideon, but he needs to prepare him for the task that is before him. And this is what's going to be the focus of this entire message. You see, brothers and sisters, two Ps as we begin. Before there is participation, and I've shared this before, but we're going to go deeper today. There must be preparation. We don't like the preparation. We want to get right into the participation. But Gideon's going to learn something that before you can participate in anything, 
There needs to be a preparation. And that's where most people miss it and most people struggle with. And you've heard me share, we want the product, but we don't like the process. Well, Gideon is going to experience an incredible process that's going to set him apart from everyone else. What's my premise? I'll give you some more peas. God patiently prepares his servants to perform the task that is set before them. He patiently prepares to perform. Without the preparation, you will never be able to perform. Or you might be able to perform through the ways of the flesh. You might perform in the natural, but that will never bring glory to God. And God is a God of process. He always was concerned about the process and the journey. And we in our humanity, we're not concerned about the journey because we want to get there yesterday. But that's not how God operates. And so Gideon doesn't realize it, but he's on a great journey. Before there's preparation, participation, there needs to be preparation. Interesting story of a man by the name of James Garfield. Before James Garfield became president of the United States, he was the president of a Bible college called Haram or Harim Bible College. And one day a father complained about the requirements of his son's course study. And I tell you something, I certainly complained. We had to do eight, eight book reports and essays with, for, per subject. Per course, per semester. I couldn't believe the requirements I took place until this was even worse. This was a Baptist Bible college, I guess. It was more study, I'm not sure. But there was a lot more difficult, it seems. And Garfield responded by saying this. Yeah, quote, I suppose I can make the courses easier, but then I'm reminded of the fact that when God makes an oak tree, it takes him 100 years but it only takes them three months to make a squash. Which one would you rather be? Did you say squash? Oh boy. A hundred years to make an oak tree. Three months or so to make a squash. My, my, my. You see, friends, when God is in the process of transforming men, He does not do it instantly. It never happens. Anybody who God called, or who God called, whether it's a male or female, there was always some form of process, and it was always painful. You can't get away from that reality. Whether you're an Apostle Paul, a Peter or a Deborah. It doesn't matter. There is something that needs to take place. God is gradually preparing Gideon. Now watch this. Now we're going to enter. We're going to go deeper this morning into some kind of warfare that he has no experience in. God had to literally transform this man who seemed to be a failure to do something that he would never even consider Warfare, and the truth is, aren't we all called to some form of spiritual warfare? So this message applies to all of us in a different way. And so, something needs to be done. And here in our text, we find the word altar. 
and I, I love preaching on the altar, and we find this word altar on several locations, and because of that, I want to look at the two elements of the altar that God has to bring Gideon through in order for him to be the man that God has called him to be. The altar, the altar. We're going to look at this altar. First, we're going to look at the altar of private worship. The altar of private worship. There's, there's P and a W here, and then we're going to look at the altar of public warfare. The altar of public warfare. Now remember what I said, before there is participation, there, there, uh, there needs to be preparation. And so, and so before Gideon goes into warfare, that's where the participation is, God needs to prepare him, and he's going to prepare him through the altar of private worship. We'll talk about what that means. So that will propel him into the altar of public warfare. You see, what happens in the public must first take place in the private. Now, we don't like that either. Because we want to be in the public, we want to be out there. But you can't be out there and be effective if something hasn't taken place privately. And sometimes some of these people that we like to criticize, sometimes these people that have been around for many, many years who are in the public arena... Or some people that we'd say, oh, I wish I was more like him or her, or I could operate more like that. We, we, we don't realize what it took for them to be where they're at. The years of private experiences with God behind the scenes in this private altar. Things that that person experienced alone. And we're going to see what Gideon has to go through as we approach and look into his story. This becomes our focus. And so let's look at the altar of private worship. The altar of private worship. Altar is a key word for this time in Israel's history because Israel has been bowing down to the altars of false gods. God is about to teach Gideon that before he can represent him in the public arena, that something personal must take place in his own life. And how many times have you heard me say that? I'm going to say it again. Are you ready? And if you haven't written it down, please write it down because this is the key. This is the key in your relationship with God. The secret of being a saint is being a saint in secret. The secret of being a saint is being a saint in secret. And so the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Your relationship with God. And that takes place in the private altar. The private altar. Israel's been bowing down to all these false gods. And God has to show Gideon something, to reveal something. Before he represents him publicly, something has to happen internally. And so we're going to look at this private worship and look at some of the characteristics of this altar. This altar. Notice please verses 17 and 18. This is a bit of a Bible study, if you will. 17, 18 of Judges chapter 6. I want you to know, and he said unto him, if now I found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that 
thou talks with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And so something's happening. We'll give you some Ds. Notice the altar of desire. The altar of desire. Under private worship, we're going to give you some subpoints. I want to really break it down so you understand what's going on here. The altar. Remember, the altar becomes the key word. The altar of desire. The altar is a place where you meet God. The altar is a place of submission. The altar is a place where God breaks you. The altar is a place where you cry out to God. The altar is a place of intimacy. The altar of desire. The altars are of desire. What does Gideon say? If I found favor in your sight, then please show me a sign that you're with me, Lord, that you're speaking to me. Now, is this a sign of, of Gideon's fear again? Of his timidity? Perhaps. But I don't think so. Is this more evidence? Uh, no. No, it could be, but I don't, not, not at this point, and I'll tell you why. I think and I believe Gideon is just being careful. Being careful. He's going to fight a nation that has been stealing Israel's crops, livestock, and he wants to be absolutely sure that it's the Lord who's telling him to fight and that he's been accepted as the Lord's deliverer. He just wants to make sure, Lord, is this you? And there's nothing wrong with that especially today where there's so many voices and so many people speaking in the name of God I need to be sure that I'm listening and I'm hearing his voice and not somebody else's voice so this is part of the reason why I wanted to share this this series because anybody who hears me preach enough knows how I really have a, a major concern about the false teaching that we see today and hear today it really concerns me that's part of the signs of the times which we live in. And many, many people are going astray as we speak. And so we see an altar of desire. I'm desiring you, Lord. And so what is he? He's desiring for acceptance and he's desiring for assurance in verse 17. If I found favor, Lord. In other words, if you, uh, hey, uh, Lord... Lord, I, I, I really want to believe it's you. I want to make sure it's you. I, want, I don't want to be misguided. I want to be clear in my heart that you are directing me. And I need some proof, Lord. Now, I know that sounds, again, like he's got no faith, and perhaps there was an issue there because he was a man of fear, but he wants acceptance, and then he wants assurance. Show me a sign. How many false prophets in this world are masquerading under the banner of Christianity? And so if someone comes along and says, God told me, God said, I just want to make sure. I want acceptance, a desire that it's you. I want assurance, a desire that this is coming from you. And you know, friends, there's nothing wrong with that because doesn't the Bible say to test the spirits? I'm not just going to listen to everybody who speaks. That's the problem. We just, oh, you say, oh, thus say, really? Okay. You know how many people have gone into a, done a missions trip? They've given everything up because somebody said, you're called to Africa. Or you're called to go here. Uh, because somebody wants you to 
pastor somewhere or go somewhere we think automatically oh this must be God well hold on a second maybe it's not God maybe it's a trap or, or maybe it's just a human desire Lord I just want to know it's you I need your acceptance I, I know it sounds good I know but, but I, I just, is it you Lord I need assurance blessed assurance Jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory I, and God will give you assurance when God called me to do anything I may have been confused in the beginning but as I continue to pray God would give me assurance I need to have a peace in my heart before I do anything I just can't go do something just on a whim I, 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 I can't do something so drastic just because it sounds good or because some prophet told me I need to have peace in my heart. I got to have assurance. I got to make sure that this is God's voice. And friends, can I speak? But there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we need more of that today. More of that conviction within us that this is God. This is the way you should walk. So Gideon may have been fearful, but what he's asking here is extremely important in what we need to ask today perhaps more than ever so we see this altar of desire and under the altar of desire we see a desire for acceptance and assurance number two notice now the altar of devotion I'm going to give you some principles that begin with D under the main title of the altar of private worship notice the altar of devotion we see this in verse 19 and 20 the altar of devotion and Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes and an epaph of flour, about 22 liters or a bushel, and flesh he put in the basket and put the broth in the pot and brought it out under the oak tree and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay it upon this rock, a picture of Christ, and pour out the broth. And he did so. The altar of devotion. And so Gideon went and prepared this young goat and unleavened bread from this from the flour about 22 liters as I mentioned or so and he put it in the basket the broth and the angel said to him take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth and he did so this my friend is the altar watch this now of Gideon's private devotion a devotion that shines bright when you consider the dark circumstances in which he lived in we need to remember the Midianites like locusts have consumed their crops famine has has seized the land and somehow Gideon's family had kept a young goat and the Bible tells us that he cooked the entire kid and used about 35 pounds of flour to bake bread and he made some soup as well and then he offered it to the Lord and I'm sure some people said what a waste we're in famine and you're doing all of this I can hear Judas Iscariot how dare she waste this oil and all this precious ointment on the feet of Jesus you can sell it and make some money and give it to the poor can you hear Judas speaking what a waste, Gideon. All this extravagance to want to offer up to God. Don't you realize we're in a time of famine and you want to do all these things? And there is Judas criticizing Mary taking a pound of very costly oil and anointing the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair, 
fragrance of this expensive oil. You can possibly also hear some of David's men. Yes, in 2 Samuel 23, we know the story. David is thirsty. He's been battling. And he even mentions it. I'm thirsty. And some of his devoted men, they went into Bethlehem that was uh, uh, under the auspices of the Philistines during that time. And they risked their lives to get David. They went to the well. They got him some water. They risked their lives. They come back to David. They give him some water. What does David do? He pours out the water as a drink offering before God. What a waste! A waste, says the natural mind. Why would you do that? Some people might say, why would you give your tithes to the church? Why would you give money to missions? Waste. Oh yes, friends. We hear it all the time, don't we? The world will never understand the spirit of sacrifice that God places in his heart, the heart of the people. people. The world doesn't understand. Gideon brings nothing but his best and he offers it to the Lord. He knows the Lord has called him and he wants to begin this relationship by offering himself to God the best he has. The best he has. He, did not David say in Second Samuel 24, I believe the 24th verse, I will not sacrifice of the Lord my God of that which costs me nothing. Listen, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Oh, we don't hear that much today. We don't want to talk about this too much today. We just want to hear how much God wants to bless us. That's all we want to hear. But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. Can I be bold enough to say that? And so we have the altar of, of desire and devotion, but notice now the altar of display, display. Something's got to manifest. Notice verse 21. Notice verse 21. And the angel of the Lord put forth the, the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock. Yeah, yeah. And, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Oh, something powerful took place. Something was on display. Yeah, yeah. The angel put out the end of the staff and fire rose up and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread the sacrifice was accepted it was probably the first time Gideon had ever known God who answers by fire God who answers by fire later on we all know the story of Elijah where you have a confrontation between the Baal gods and God himself and the Baal gods there's a confrontation going on who's the greater God who's the God who is supreme and so there was this, this debate and this, this, this display going on who's greater and so Elijah gives opportunity for these Baal worshippers to the God who answers by fire he is the true God and so they were going around dancing cutting themselves all kind of pagan rituals and absolutely nothing to in fact Elijah's taunting them well where's your God is he sleeping is there something wrong but the God who answers by fire he's, he's the true God and Elijah's turn came up and all he did was 
made one sentence prayer. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't a long prayer. And the fire came and consumed the altar and the sacrifice. And we all know the story. God answered by fire. There's something about fire, my friend. Without an altar, there's no fire. You, some of you want fire, but you've got no altar. Some of you want fire, but you've got no private altar. Some of you want fire, and you never spend time in His presence. It does not work that way. God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 1, 7, He maketh His servants a flame of fire. I, I want to be a flame of fire. Paul says to be fervent in spirit. The Greek word means to be aglow, on fire. God has called us to be on fire. And we all know the story on the day of Pentecost. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We look forward to that. On Pentecost, something powerful happened. They prayed and they prayed. There was an altar service going on. There was a prayer service. The altar, the altar of devotion was there. And all of a sudden, the fire came and consumed them. Fire! With no altar, there's no fire. The altar of desire, the altar of devotion, the altar of display. The fire came. God's glory came. Number four, the altar of de dependence. The altar of dependence. Notice please, verse 21 and 22. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff and, and, and was in his hand and touched the flesh of the unpleasant and rose up the fire. Verse to, uh, 22. And when Gideon perceived that it was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, and the Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, he got a little nervous. He thought maybe he was going to die because he sees the angel. Yeah, how does that make sense? Stay with me. We'll figure out what's going on here. Why would he be fearful of this angel? Angel, Notice the altar of dependence. The angel says, don't worry, Gideon. Now, why would Gideon be worried about this? Was this about the strength of the Midianites? No, 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 no. Gideon was worried about something because he saw something. Gideon experienced something. You see, perhaps he read Exodus, I believe it's 33. If you see God, what happens when you see God? You shall not live. No man has seen God. You can't live if you see God. You die in his presence. That's what the Bible says. Maybe he thought that he was going to die now. He saw an angel. What? Didn't this happen somehow to Job when I've seen the Lord, something changed? I abhor myself. Now that I've seen the Lord, Job 42, I abhor myself. What do you mean I, I see myself for who I really am? I just saw you. Something has taken place. Was that not the case with Isaiah? When Isaiah saw the Lord, he said, Woe unto me, I am undone. Listen, when you see the Lord, there's going to be a change. That's like people will tell me, Oh yeah, I've experienced God. I've seen God. And they're still the same. You haven't seen God? If you've experienced God, there's going to be a change. Job said, I abhor myself. I, I see myself for who I really am. That's what Isaiah said. He was a prophet. Whenever men of God or women of God have seen God, something has happened. There is change. There's change. There's transformation. It happened to all of them. Even Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel saw the Lord, he fell on his face. Ezekiel 1.28. When Daniel saw the Lord, he said, I was afraid and I fell on my face. When Peter came into contact with Jesus, he called Jesus in Luke 5, Captain. He called him Captain, Master. But then later, when he realized it was not just a captain, when Jesus performed a miracle, he realized he was talking to no ordinary man. And he called him Lord Theos. He called him God. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinner. When you see God for who he really is, you realize that you're a sinner. Something changes. Something changes within you. Either you fall on your face in repentance or you, you weep and you realize how unholy you are as Isaiah did. Depart from me. Oh friends, I need to ask if the Lord Jesus Christ were to stand in front of you and me today, would you just, oh yeah, let's give a high five. You know, some people are so frivolous. You know, people are out there always making jokes. They're just frivolous. Oh yeah, let's go. Oh, Jesus is here. Can you give me a high five? What? I've had somebody say that to me once. It was a powerful service. Oh, give me a high five. God's here. I said, what? Are you kidding me? Give me a high five. God's here? If God's here, you're going to fall on your face like John on the Isle of Patmos. When Jesus approached, he fell on his face as a dead man. And you're going to start high-fiving people? Are you kidding me? When God shows up, my friends, something happens. My goodness, that's the problem today. We think God's showing up, but he hasn't. And some of these big mega churches that have got all these great methods and plans, they think God's with them. I'm sorry. A great method and plan doesn't mean God's with you. If there's no shaking and holy reverence and repentance, God's not there. God's not in the place because you're so good or you're so eloquent. God's not in the place because you have nice lights and beautiful music. He could be there, but that, that doesn't mean he is there. When God shows up, friends, there's a shaking, there's a reverence, there's, there's a realization that you are a sinner. I need God. Woe is me, said the prophet. I believe Gideon was fearful that, well, am I going to die now that I've seen this angel? No. And what do we see in verse 24? What do we see? He's the angel now. And Gideon perceived that it was an angel. Verse 23, and the Lord said unto him, no, Gideon, you're not going to die. I'm going to give you the opposite. Peace. You see, when you see God, there might be a shaking and a stirring, but, but, but the result of that is a peace. You follow me? There's a peace. And he made an altar. There's the altar. Jehovah Shalom. 
He experienced God. He had an encounter through his private altar. You see, friends, that's what the private altar is all about. It's to experience and to have an encounter. That's the problem with the church today. We want the public altar, but we don't have the private altar. Some of the best critics in the church, they've got no private altar. Or they got education and they got knowledge, but they got no altar. The private altar will produce something that can never be produced in this physical realm. Gideon now has peace. Remember, he was plagued with fear. Something changed in Gideon's life. Before there's participation, and participation, there must first be preparation. God is preparing Gideon to participate in something, to participate in my second point, the altar of public warfare. The altar of private worship has been established. There's a peace, there's assurance in Gideon's life through the altar, this private altar, this altar that took place privately between him and God. Now he's ready. God is propelling him into the altar of public warfare. We are in a public warfare. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is doing. He's preparing you. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. And we need to be prepared in the spirit realm to deal with some of the things that are happening in the spirit arena. But I can't get into that arena unless I've experienced a, a private altar of my own. God is preparing me and under this public altar warfare I see some more some more D's some more sub points that I want to share with you are you ready watch this now private worship produces public warfare number one we need the altar of defection what does that mean notice verse 25 in order for me to be a true warrior I got to go through verse 25 watch this and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him take thy father's young bullock even the second bullock of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal what that thy father hath cut down and grove or made that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God on top of this rock rock is a picture of Christ what you're now in warfare Gideon I want you to tear down the Baal gods the Asherah poles which are trees which I believe paganism and, and witchcraft and sorcery all evolved from here Baal worship was one of the most despicable worship. It was worshiping a fertility god, and many times they would sacrifice their children as an act of devotion. It was despised by God, perhaps more than any other false worship of the day. And the Israelites were worshiping the Baal god as God had called Gideon. And now that God has prepared Gideon in this altar of worship, he's preparing him, he's now projected out into this public arena of warfare to deal with the false gods. You can't deal with demons and false gods in the energy of the flesh. You will fail every time. 
And some of you recognize that. I say, oh, pastor, can you please pray? There's a problem. Well, what about you? Because you know you're not ready. So let's get the pastor doing. Sometimes, many times the pastors aren't even ready. Can I? That's another sermon. I won't get there. But God has prepared Gideon for this hour. The altar of defection. Defection. You see, my friends, he says here in verse 25, your father, something's happening in your father's house. Right in Gideon's backyard stood a monument to Israel's false relationship with this hideous God. Gideon's own father had built an altar to Baal. Next to that altar, he built an Asheroth or a fertility pole, a wooden image, if you will. Both were an abomination to the Lord, and Gideon was commanded to tear it all down before Gideon could become God's deliverer. There were a few things in his life that had to be dealt with that God was saying to Gideon, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to be my warrior, it, it's going to be all the way and it, or nothing. You can't have, you can't be half-baked. No, no, no. You, you, you got to leave those false gods behind. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. And when you start preaching like this, people don't like it well there you go pastor preaching legalism again do you know how many times people have said that to me oh you're preaching Old Testament and you know we're not in that dispensation pastor don't you know we are we are in the age of grace and liberty we don't need to do this. God's grace covers it all. Oh, really? Then why did Jesus say you can't serve two masters? Why would he say that? Why would he say the broad path leads to destruction and the narrow path leads to it? Why would he say that? Gideon, if you want to be my warrior and my deliverer, there's some things you got to deal with. Yeah, I've already brought you through the private altar, but, but, but we're going to go further because there's a problem that you got to deal with and it's in your backyard. How many people have got problems they don't realize it's in their backyard? Or you're busy pointing your fingers at everybody else, but maybe it's in your backyard. Just maybe. What is it, Lord? Your father... Your own father, Gideon, has built a Baal god. Ashroth poles. So, so, to understand what a pole, it's very similar, and this is not to knock anybody, but it's very similar to what we see out west with those uh, aboriginal poles, you know, that are carved out. Very similar to that. Worshipping their deities and their gods. God says, you need to destroy them. You can't serve me and these false gods at the same time. Oh friends, can I ask you, do you have any idols in your life that might be offending God? Think about it for a moment. That needs to be destroyed. Oh yeah, we don't have Baal gods today and we don't have Ashroth poles perhaps, but we have other kind of gods that are just as devastating the gods of entertainment, the sport gods, the fashion gods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
all kinds of gods that rob us from our devotion with God? Do we have any of these gods that need to be destroyed to do public warfare for God, friends? We may need first to visit our own backyard, the altar of defection. We must defect from this. Break the allegiance that hold us. God is saying to Gideon, I, I, you've got to deal with this God. If I'm, if I'm going to use you to deliver my people, you've got to bring deliverance in your own backyard first. Oh my goodness. Think about it. What's the point? Israel was worshiping Jehovah God and worshiping Baal at the same time. And God saying, enough is enough. I am a jealous God. I, am a, I want you for myself. Did not Elijah say the same thing when he spoke to the Israelites from Mount Carmel? He says, how long must you be between two opinions? If you're going to serve God, serve God. If you're going to serve Baal, then serve Baal. You can't serve God and Baal at the same time. And God was setting a precedent and he sets the precedent even tonight and today rather. So we have the altar of defection. And then I want you to notice the altar of decision. He has to make a decision. Am I going to choose God or am I going to choose what my father has? You know, know, it's very difficult when, when, when your own household is not serving God. My God, you know, how many got saved and you find out mom and dad don't serve God. In fact, you might be getting persecuted because you serve God, but your family don't serve God. That's uh, happened in my life. It's happening in your life. It's happened to most people I know. You come to know God. You've experienced the Jehovah Shalom. You've experienced the peace of God. You've had a private altar experience. You've changed. You've had an encounter with God. And now all of a sudden, your father, your mother, your uncle, your cousin, they're all against you because they haven't experienced that. And there's a warfare going on. And now God says you gotta break, you gotta break down those poles. You gotta break down that altar. What? In my father's house? That's right. You gotta take a stand. You gotta go against what's in your home. What? But my my it's my father. He he won't like what I do. Still living in his home. You gotta make a decision, Gideon. All of us need to make decisions upon the altar of decision. Some of us are so sweet and nice, we don't want to offend people, but we rather offend God than, than man. And so we don't break down the pole because we don't want to offend somebody. Okay. You'll never be a Gideon. Gideon had to make a decision, a choice. What will you choose? All great men make choices, decisions. Joshua said, choose you this day. God says enough is enough. How many times have you heard me say you can't be the bride of Jesus and the girlfriend of Satan at the same time. How many times have you heard me say that? That applies back in Gideon's day and it applies to us today. The altar of defection, the altar of decision. Number three, the altar of discovery. I'm coming to an end, so hold on. Verse 29, the altar of discovery. Something, you will discover something when you take a stand for God. When you take a stand for God, something will manifest. You will discover something powerful. Notice verse 29. Notice verse 29. And they said one to another, 
Who hath done this thing? Gideon just finished breaking down the altar of Baal. And when they inquired and asked, they said, well, it's Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Really? Verse 30. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he might die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. What? Uh oh. Now, now you're going to pay it. Now, 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 now you've had it, Gideon. The altar of discovery. Oh, yes. Who did this? The men of the city asked Joash. They figured it was Gideon, and he agreed, and Joash, they said, Joash, bring out your son, that he may die because of torn down the altars of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image. Bring him, that we might kill him. But watch this now. Watch the discovery. Something happens, are you ready? And Joash said to all who stood against them, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself. Does, does this God need any help? Didn't Elijah say, well, where's, where's your God? Is he sleeping? We see Joash doing this. But hold on a second. Joash built the altar of Baal. He would be upset that his son would break it down. You figure that. Ah, but God was doing something in the heart of his father. Because Gideon took a stand. Listen, friends, don't be fearful to take a stand. You might think they might oppose you or might bring harm to you, but you know the very opposite could happen. God can turn the hearts around in your favor. When my mother found out I was a Christian, I got my fellow Greeks here. I'll tell you, if you're a Greek and you get saved and you leave the Greek Orthodox Church, you're destined for, uh, you're, 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 ca you're a castaway, you're gone, you're done. You're a heretic, we don't want any part of my Greek family. In fact, they didn't even want me to come to their celebrations anymore, like Easter and Christmas, you know. And my mother sent my sister to find out what happened to me in California because she thought I lost my mind. My sister lost her mind too. She got saved. And then when I got back to Montreal in Brantford where Pastor Melody lives, first church I pastored, I baptized my mother in that church. From wanting to disown me and thought I lost my mind to getting baptized. <laughs> I see something similar here. Joash who should have killed his own son. That's, that's what it meant. That, that let the people kill him. Ends up defending his son God performed a miracle discovered something and because of his defiance he stood for Christ he stood for God God defended him listen friends you take one step before God towards him he'll take a hundred towards you in verse 31 look what it says in verse 31 and Joash said unto all who stood against him, Will he plead for God? Well, where's Baal? Let him speak for himself. Leave him alone. Let him alone. Where is this God of Baal anyway? Something happened. And now, verse 32, 
Joash changes his son's name. Oh, I see something here. Look what happened. Therefore, on that day, verse 32, he called him Jerubbile, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down his altar. His name changed. His name changed. Did you see that? We've seen this in scripture. A changing of the name. Jerubbile. Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Wow. What happened to Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord in Genesis 32? The angel changed his name. Again, that angel is a theophany. The angel said, you'll no longer be called Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. Your name shall be called Israel. You wrestled with God and you prevailed. You had a private altar of worship. You entered into that private altar of worship. And because you entered into that private altar of worship, you're able to experience the public altar of warfare and your name has changed. My God, what a story. Look at the parallels. The parallels of a spiritual truth. Prince with God, Jerubbabel, means the conqueror of Baal, a hero. Gideon means hacker or cutter. What a change from a hacker to a, a deliverer <laughs> because of this altar of worship that he experienced. Oh, my friends, only God can do that. He works in us. He's working in us to perform what he wants us to do. Oh, my friends, I need to ask, what is your name? Oh, I know, I know your physical name. I, I, see, I see Ruby here. I, I see Lydia here. I, 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 I see your names. I see people. I see glory here. I see, I see, I see you. I, I know your name. I, I see, but what is your real name? What is your spiritual name? What is the name that heaven knows you by? My God. What is the name that heaven knows you by? I know what the world calls you, but what does heaven call you? What does God call you? Think about it for a moment, please. I want that to marinate a little bit. What is your name? How is your life influencing others? My God. Isn't that what life is all about? Making a difference in people's lives? You see, if you've had a private altar experience in the private realm, then, then the public arena of spiritual warfare will take place and you will affect other people. Baal gods will be destroyed. Families will turn around. Souls will get saved. Oh, do I see a message here. That's what happened to Gideon. My God. Got to close, but one more thought before I do. And so now he's ready. And watch this. The enemy is lurking in the valley of Jezreel. That's what the Bible says. And fear could once again enslave Gideon, but the Spirit of God came upon him and notice what it says here. Notice what it says. Verse 33. 
Then the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and they went over to pitch in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and blew a trumpet at Abazir and was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh and also gathered after and he sent messengers unto Asher and Zebulun and unto Naphtali. And they came unto meet him and Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand as thou hast said, and he blew the trumpet. He asks for a fleece. We won't get ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about that tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. But notice, everyone came. He blew the trumpet and he gathered the tribes and he brought them all together and they followed his example. They were all fearful like he was, but something happened. He blew the trumpet, and those from Manasseh came, and Naphtali came, and Nasher. They all came to follow who? Gideon, the one who was hiding in a wine press. They're going to follow this, this, this man who's scared. What? Going to follow him? This leader who's hiding? Going to follow him into battle against the strongest nation of the land? And that's exactly what happened. Gideon was able to influence his nation. My God! What? What happened? The altar private worship propels you into the altar of public warfare because God patiently prepares to perform his task through you that's right I will end how I began God found Gideon in a hole in a white press Maybe you're in a hole right now. He found Joseph in a prison. Maybe you're in a prison right now. He found Daniel in a den of lions. Well, maybe you're in a den plagued with lions roaring against you, trying to devour you and drown you. Yes, he shows up in the midst of trouble, not in the absence of it. Where the world sees failure, God sees future oh friend the next time you feel unqualified to be used by God remember this he tends to recruit from the pit not the pedestal from the cave not the canopy where are you at today stop running stop hiding God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the call rise up O Gideon God has something for you. Rise up, O Logos. God has something for you. Can you stand, please? Can you stand to your feet this morning? You know, Pastor Joss, we sang one of my favorite choruses, How Great the Lord Is. I want us to sing that again. And as we're singing this chorus, I want us to look within ourselves. This story is not about how great Gideon is. This story is about how great God is. 
Because God works in us both to will and to do His perfect pleasure. That's what happened to Gideon. Philippians 2.13 and Philippians 1.6 He that's begun a good work and you shall finish it, complete it. So Gideon, you're not finished yet. Some of you are still in process. You're still dealing with the altar of worship. But God's about to propel you into that warfare, that arena where you will face Baal. You'll fa face the Baal gods in the Asheroth poles of deception and deceit. But Gideon did one thing. Lord, is it you? I just need to know it's you. Could have been the most important question he asked God. Some of you aren't about to do something and you haven't really sought the Lord for it. And you're going to do it because it just seems to make sense. Never do anything because it makes sense. Do it because you've heard God speaking and you've got a peace. I'm going to pray for you in a few moments. But I want us to sing this chorus and I want us to focus in on how great God is. And that greatness is what's working in you, my friend. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice Let all the earth rejoice He wraps himself in life And
God revealed to Gideon how great he was by calling a man who was fearful and doubt hiding called him mighty man of valor while the world looked at him as a, a loser God looked at him as a lieutenant hallelujah a captain what does God see you oh I know I know you've been discouraged because you found yourself in a den right now in the pit seems pretty grim and fear has come upon you but I got a word for you it's not over yet it's just not over yet it's really not over yet I know the devil's told you it's over but it's not over he's not finished with you or me I'm calling the Gideons to come out of their wine presses to me I'm calling every Gideon or Gideonette to come out of that den, that prison, that, that fear that's plagued you. And come and spend time to hear his voice. That's right, I, I, I'm, I, I just want you to spend time in that private altar. So when you come forward, it's just private, it's just you and him. No one's going to lay hands on you. No one's even going to pray for you. You're going to go before the Lord. And so who am I speaking to today? I'm calling you forth as the angel called Gideon. Gideon! God has called you. That's right. You. That's right. Yeah. Who me, Lord? You've got to be kidding. Hey, are you? Mighty man of valor. I declare that you are a mighty woman of valor. I declare you are a mighty man of valor. I want everyone who's in a pig pen of sorts, uh, everyone who's in a wine press, uh, everyone who's in a ditch, I want you to come on out and I want you to come here because the devil's lied to you. God is preparing you. Just come on out. Don't look to your right or left and who's here and who's not. Just come on out and come and receive from God. God's going to speak to you and God's going to touch you right here. Just come on out. Come on out and come forward. Just come forward.